0: Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at Bethelbrandon.ca. Hey, I wanna I wanna share something that I believe the Spirit of God spoke to my heart about as I was preparing coming back from holidays, and it just hit me so heavily. Uh, that I, I had to, to share it. And um, um, it's about restoring a disposition of joy. You ever have favorite passages of Scripture? I'm sure that we all have. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, there are, are just uh, different Scriptures that you gravitate to that resonate with you, perhaps what you're going through. One that has always been uh, a favorite of mine is found in, in Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is just filled with wonderful passages of Scripture. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know that all those all good works to those who love Jesus, who are called according to His purpose. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. All those passages are in Romans 8. But the one in Romans 8 that has hit me, that often hits me, is Romans chapter 8 verse 31, which simply says this. If God be before us, who can be against us? What a wonderful, powerful passage of Scripture. If there's an equivalent in the Old Testament, it is in Second Kings chapter six, verse 16, where um, Elisha is the prophet, and they're facing the enemy, and he has to say something to the servant who thinks the enemy has surrounded us. All is gone, all is lost. And and Elisha basically says this, hey, you need to take another look. For those who are for us are more than those who are against us. You know the same passages that I do. Because they're powerful. And they're something that need to become part of the fiber of who we are if you love Jesus with, with all of your heart. It's so important that we come to live that out. Because for some reason, we seem to gravitate and go to the negative more than the positive have you found that out how many of you just seem to you know it just seems to be the default you know and there's a number of reasons that that people have made up for this biologists tell us that the human brain is hardwired to focus on the negative and and their thought is that our our, our ancestors you know as they were kind of as they were kind of developing were Taught to look over the horizon for predators. I don't know the the truth of all of that. There might be something to to the effect that, that we have always kind of had that in us. To be aware of what is happening. The enemy that is around. Sociologists will have said over generations in particular cultures. That seems to be the bent that they have. It's just kind of part of the fiber of the social fabric at that particular time. By far the most interesting are the neuroscience people. Neuroscientists who have studied the brain said that it takes three seconds for a negative memory to imprint on the brain. But it takes 14 seconds for a positive one to do so. They go on to say that your brain is like flypaper for negativity, but Teflon for positivity. And one of the things that they say is this, and perhaps you'd like to try this sometime... Every time you go through a positive experience or you have a time which is absolutely wonderful and meaningful, if you're with that person, if you could just say, can we just kind of think about this moment and stay upon this moment for a quarter of a minute? They say that if that's the case, what happens is that you take an imprint, it is something which is, becomes imprinted upon uh, your psyche, your brain, and your brain will release chemicals of happiness every time that memory comes up. I think scripture talks about the fact that there are certain things that we should remember. It's an important thing to do. I know John, uh, Mark Comer, as I was reading over one of his articles, he said, We're living in a world that is under assault from the three enemies of the soul the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's true. The devil's going to do everything he can to put negativity into our hearts. Add to that the fact that we have this thing in our hands called a cell phone and we have 24-7 digital information cycles which highlight the bad and an economic model that will profit every time we have this built-in fear and we have crisis that they can take advantage of and social algorithms that will pit one ideology against another. And let's add to the fact that you may have forgotten, but there was this pandemic that we went through. And I don't know if there were too many positive thoughts or are too many positive thoughts that have happened. Oh, you remember that pandemic? Oh, what a wonderful time. It was great. Where's my mask? I don't want to put my mask on just to remember. No, it doesn't happen. Does this resonate? I think we've I think we've we've all been through that. this This becomes real to us. And so what do we do? Well, I just say this, that God says that he does something in our hearts to combat that, but it happens from the inside out. It happens by the Spirit of God. And I say by the Spirit of God, through the Holy Spirit, revealed by his word, that we can overcome this by a disposition of joy created by the conviction that there is a God that loves us, that he has his best interests at hand. And if this God is for us, nothing else can be against us. Unfortunately, a spirit of discontent has stolen that away from many in the church today, but it doesn't have to be that way. Amen. Now, For those of you who perhaps are joining us for the first time, maybe you're online and you're kind of joining us, um, we had just recently gone through a series on um, the life of Jacob. And um, there was something that I still kind of had in the sermon bin. And I just thought, well, maybe that's another time. And God had kind of put something in my heart to complete the thought while I was on holies. And I think it is so important for us today to really understand it. And it stems from the fact that, and you may not realize this, but many times in scriptures, God will kind of do comparative studies or stories of individuals and show one and then show another. The first king of Israel, Saul, he had all the physical attributes that you could possibly have. And uh, everything that you could have, Saul had. But it was David that had the heart that was after God. And so you see a life of, of, of Saul compared to the life of David, who went on and did great things for God. If you take a look at the end of the book of Judges, as you go into the book of Samuel, you'll have Samson, who was who a, uh, a judge and Samuel, the very next one, who was a judge. And, and Samson uh, comes and becomes a Nazarite. But he's not a Nazarite by choice. He's a Nazarite because his mom could not conceive. And supernaturally, God had moved. And that oath was made by the mom. Samuel, the same thing. He was a Nazarite. But it was based on an oath from the mom, who, who, uh, Hannah, who could not have children. And so she dedicated him. And so you have these people who have these, these, these mirroring stories And Samson had everything, all the gifts you could possibly ask for. And he stumbles his way across the finish line. Whereas Samuel, who had none of those things, all of a sudden changes the heart of the people through his life. The third one is the one that we had been studying. The difference between Jacob and the difference between his son Joseph. And if I can show you a few things in these next few minutes, I believe that God is desiring to restore in many of us a spirit of joy. You see, Jacob saw things one way, and he had a different disposition than his son Joseph. And there's some interesting things um, to note. Now, Jacob, as you take a look at the end of the life, his life, there are a couple of key statements that are made uh, about Jacob. One is in, in uh, Genesis chapter 47, um, verse 9. And he goes before Pharaoh, and, and, and Joseph has introduced Pharaoh to him. And, and jo- Jacob makes this, this um, statement to Pharaoh. He said, my years have been few and difficult. Interesting. This is the patriarch. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob at the end of his life has this to say, he's right, it's really difficult. As a matter of fact, there's another instance in scripture in, in Genesis chapter 42 um, verse, verse 36. And um, it's at the point where, where um, Simeon has been taken and left by, by Joseph and all of a sudden they want to take Benjamin as well. Remember the story? And they all of a sudden come to Jacob, and and Jacob has this to say in Genesis chapter 42, verse 36. He said, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin, and here is the thing, the statement. Everything is against me. Now... We all know, because we have an oversight of this passage of scripture, that nothing could be further from the truth. But nonetheless, I believe that we feel this way sometimes. Isn't that not true? Like you wake up in the morning and you step on the carpet failing to realize that your cat has vomited all over the floor and it goes right in between your toes and you stumble your way to the bathroom and someone has left a drawer out in the bathroom and you hit your shin on the, the, the drawer and there's no coffee and there's a message that says that the bank didn't get the bill, you're now overdrawn and so you go to the bank and when you go to the bank to try and figure it out, you're only in there five minutes and when you come out, there's a ticket. You've only been there five minutes. Was he hiding behind a tree? And then to boot, You lose game seven of the Stanley Cup Playoffs. Everything is against me. Or maybe, or maybe on a more serious level, you face health challenges, or your children face health challenges, or you're facing bankruptcy, or you're facing a challenge, or you're unfairly treated. You're not too sure what to do next. And as in the case of Jacob, it was a series of things. And sometimes, you know, we go to this point. There's a difference between seasons and moments where we're overwhelmed or when times when this becomes the anthem of our life. But nothing could be further from the truth. And there's something about the constitution of Jacob that followed him. And as a result, though he was a father, a forefather chosen by God, he suffered. In comparison, Joseph suffered similar misfortune. You read about his story in Genesis chapter 37 to 50. But upon the end of Jacob's life, he comes to a different conclusion than Jacob does. Here's the thing that was said, that Jacob says at the end of his life in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Talking to his brothers who think that now that, now that their dad is gone, that he's going to go and get, off, get, get uh, revenge on them. He says, no, 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 folks. You don't. You need to understand this, and this is what I have come to realize that what you meant for harm, God meant for good. That's the conclusion he came to, which was different than Jacob's. You ever stop and consider what Jacob did when he named his children? Manasseh it means forgetfulness, and Ephraim means fruitfulness. And basically what he was saying is, God has made me forget all the bad things that have happened. And he has allowed a fruitfulness to take place in my life. And sometimes you cannot have Manasseh until you have Ephraim. Sometimes you will not have the fruitfulness until you have the forgetfulness. And allow God to do a work in your life rather than stay in that spot where somehow you've got embittered by the situation. And Joseph had this unbreakable conviction that God was on his side, that God was for him. That this, despite the incredible injustices and fairness he had, he had a conviction. And it was a joy that was inside him that was not brought on by any kind of circumstance. It was there. And Jacob, as we had learned, he manhandled the blessing. He tried to figure that God needed help for him to get to the place where he wanted. And so he supplanted and he deceived and and he he was controlled by what he presently saw. And uh, when it wasn't going his way, he did everything he possibly could by whatever means necessary to get what he wanted. And it got to the point where he never really ever trusted in God the way he probably could. And so instead of becoming um, patient and, and waiting, he becomes anxious and he becomes fearful. And as a result, Jacob always drew to the conclusion which was the worst. And consequently, he learned painful lessons. Like, he grows up and he never really ever sees his mother again, the last part of his life. And as he goes and starts his own family, his wives are continually pitted against each other. There's continual conflict in the family. Not only that, even as he has children, those children are in conflict with each other. And the community that he has, has terrible things that happen. Many of them never ever had to take place. And it leads him to say statements like this. My days are short and painful. Everything is against me. And this is a patriarch. This is the one God had chosen him. So when you take a look at the life of Jacob, you realize something which is extremely important. And it's this. That you can have Jesus in your heart. And still live a miserable, unjoyful life. Again, Joseph was different. The difference between Joseph and Jacob in a lot of respects is that anything that happened to Joseph was absolutely unfair and not of his own doing. Here he is talking to his brothers. They said, we're jealous of this guy. And parents, if you favor, if you favor one child in the family, you ultimately uh, will curse that child. You don't realize it, but that is eventually what happens. So they seek to kill him, and then they put him into slavery of no fault of his own. And eventually God moves in his life, and he's in Potiphar's house doing all these great things. And and Potiphar's wife accuses him of these terrible things, and he goes to prison of no fault of his own. And while he's in prison, uh, people in the court have these dreams, and he interprets them, and, and things go well. And he says, hey, tell me about this, tell me. And they never do it of no fault of his own. And so here he is and having everything in him that has every right to say, forget you God, this is terrible. But he doesn't. He sits there and he says, I still believe in a God who loves me. I still believe in the fact that although the circumstance show this, that God will fulfill the dream that he has in my life to have faith and God ends up ministering deeply in his life. And he's the one who says, yeah, yeah, this happened, this bad things happened, but what they were doing caused us to see wonderful things to happen. And there's something to be said about joy. There's the joy of fishing. There's the joy of hiking. There's the joy of cooking. But by far the best is the joy of joy. Wouldn't you say? There's something to be said about a disposition of joy in troubled and lost times. To be convinced that God loves you, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is mindful. Independent of the circumstances. And it's not denial, it's not wishful thinking, and it's not Christian escapism. It's not just having the right perspective or positivity or applying whatever promises that we think are there. Because it's not man-made is not created by thinking more correctly. There's something that happens from the inside out. It is a spirit work. And I also think that you can have it and lose it every time you take your hands up and put the wheel in your own hands. Joy is a conviction of who God is, that God is true to his word, no matter what the present circumstances will tell me, he loves me. And Jacob passed on a torch to the next generation, And Joseph changed the nation by the attitude that he had. And I believe this is crucially important for us as a group. And I say again by the Spirit of God that God is desiring to reinstitute the disposition of joy to destroy a spirit of discontent. That there's a spirit of discontent that somehow hovers over us and is so stubborn in our life life, that it causes us to see all the things that are wrong, all the things that ought to be, all the things that should be, all the things that I want to be. But it's only destroyed by a disposition of joy that comes in from the heart because you can't have one without the other. And the question I have for you this morning is this, which of the two are you governed by? And do you want to be healed from one to go to the other? God is calling us back to a journey of joy seen throughout the scriptures. Probably the most famous one is is in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse um, 10. That's where you get that passage which says this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, what a funny book for it to be in. This is when he's talking about Captivity not talking about joyful times. It's talking about the fact that in the process of all the challenges that you have, that the ultimate thing that will, will bring you to God is that working of the fact that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is something that is a resource that you have no matter what the conditions are. Wow. What a powerful passage of scripture. What about Romans chapter 14 verse 7 where Paul is talking talking about issues of judgment he says he says it's not a matter of food and drink i think i have it here yeah it's not a matter of eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit it's not about the superficial aspects that many times we allow to take the front role of our lives but it is the injection of joy brought on by a personal relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's why, that's why in, Gen- in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's known as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And that tells us some huge things. It tells us, it tells us that um, when, you have, when you have the, the fruit of uh, the Spirit of joy, that it is something that happens when you absolutely live totally in line with the Spirit of God, that you walk in the Spirit, you walk in step with the Spirit. Not only it tells, it tells me this, is that any person who loves Jesus with all of their heart should be seeking and can have a disposition of joy in their life. You know, it's Timothy chapter six, verse six, it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, what does it mean when you have discontentment? What is the opposite of that? And a disposition of joy will destroy a disposition of uh, discontent. It's something which is hugely important. When the world looks at the church, does it see joy? What would happen if God created a community of joyful people? People convinced of the goodness of God and it oozed out of their pores that joy was baptized into the DNA of the soul of the people of the Lord. Doesn't mean they're not going to face challenges. As a matter of fact, they'll probably face more. But there's something about this thing which is called joy, which is attractive to everybody. If there's anybody who knew about joy, it was King David. And you hear about that as he talks about about joy in in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, where he's repenting for the Lord and calling himself back to God. And he says something special in, in, in Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. He says, do not cast, or said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he says this, restore to me. The joy of your salvation. Hold me with a generous spirit. What's that about? I think if David understood anything. Is that the last thing you want is a joyless life. That when you have lost that joy. Other spirits take over. And he says whatever you do God. Whatever you do. Don't take away the joy of your salvation. It is something which is crucially important. So my question in my sermon is simple. Have you discovered joy? Maybe you don't know Jesus and you're here. Maybe you're watching online. You're just trying to figure out this faith thing. My question to you is this. Have you discovered joy? Have you given Jesus everything? And when you do, this is a byproduct that takes place. You can't work towards something that God just gives you or maybe for far more of us do you need to rediscover joy somewhere along the line you lost it you once had it COVID stole it an angry perspective tainted it a challenge in your life caused it to vanish Or maybe it just slowly leaked out of your life what you sit here this morning, sitting in your chair, and you are hungry, you are starved for joy. A return to the God who is on my side mentality, a supernatural change of heart, because the Spirit of God is at work in you. That's my prayer for those of you who are here today. Can I share one more thought with you? I've always been amazed when you take a look at Advent Christmas time, that one of the things at Advent is this thing which is called joy. I don't know if you've ever discovered that. I know sometimes in our Pentecostal churches, we kind of bypass the Advent thing, which, which I think is it's too bad because it really represents something great. But that whole passage on the Advent of joy kind of comes from the message that the angels... Had for the shepherds, and it's found in Luke chapter two, I think, verse ten. Basically, says, "I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people." Hear you know that word, "good news"? It comes from the Greek word "euangelion" or evangelions, where we get the word "evangelism." It's based on "good news," the gospel. All those words are kind of tied in. With that. And the message that was there is that when Jesus came to die for our sins, he provided a way for us to have joy, peace, the power of God to move. And when you lose that, I think you want to do everything you possibly can to restore it. There's a story that had come out a year ago. April, it was April of last year, a couple of guys, Dennis and um, Lee Horton from Philadelphia, were falsely accused of murder and robbery, went to jail for over 25 years, but in the advances of uh, science, they found out that these guys never did it. So after I think 28 years in prison, they find themselves released. And I was interested as I listened to Lee Horton talk about it. And there's lots of things they're talking about. He said, you know what? He said, never, ever, never really ever got to me until they put me out of the prison and they put me in the front chair of the car and there were no handcuffs on me. He says, I know, that they, I know that they signed it, and they told me about the, the governor signing it and, and saying all these things, but it wasn't until I got in the car. He said, every time, for 28 years, every time I got in a car, I was in handcuffs. And he says, all of a sudden, I sat there in the car, and I had no handcuffs on anymore. He says, and then it hit me that I'm free. All of a sudden, it just hit. Wow, this is incredible. And I think there's something for us to understand as Christians is that when Jesus came into your life, he took the handcuffs away. He took the handcuffs away. And so I say by the Spirit of God, for those of you who are here, there are many people who are in this congregation who are Jacob's that God today wants you to leave as a Joseph. Are you one? Which one are you? Father, I pray that you'll move in a powerful way. Can we all stand at this time? Holy Spirit, move. Receiving again a disposition of joy, I think, will come as a a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are here, I know I asked people to come to the front before. But this is church. I can do what I want. I'm going to ask you to come up again for those people who are saying, I'm Jacob. I want to be Joseph. I came in. Jacob. The spirit of discontentment. Unhappy about a number of things. I don't want to be Jacob anymore. I want to be Joseph. If that's you, come on up to the front right now. Come on up. Don't leave. Please don't leave if God is wanting to do a work on you. But it just takes that step of faith. Of God just saying, okay... I want to have the joy, I want to have the the restoration of joy in my heart, in my life. Take that opportunity. Take the opportunity that God is going to give and heal and move and work in your life. By the spirit of the living God, I pray that you are going to do a spiritual healing, a spiritual work, a deep work in the foundation of our souls right now in Jesus' name. What would happen if Bethel became known for its joy? What would happen if this church all of a sudden turned around and there was nothing about complaining, it was nothing about this is wrong, that is wrong, I'm not content. There's always something wrong to a point where we just say, I don't care, I just love Jesus with all of my heart. I want joy to be in there. I want that disposition to rule everything that I do. And it's not about the circumstances, not about what I'm going through. I may be going through hell right now, but there's a conviction in me that says if God is for us, who can be against us? He is God. He is Lord. Nothing can come against us. And that is the foundation of stone uh, of joy in our lives. Because nothing can hurt us if we know Jesus. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus. Find a place at the front. I know. might be scary. Find a place at the front. Let, that, let those steps that you take be steps of faith. God moving in your heart and your life. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Right now, in Jesus' name, I'm asking God that you will restore what the devil has taken away. He's robbed us of our joy. It's been replaced by other things, Lord, that have made us grumbling, but I say right now by the Spirit of God as the pastor of the, or the leader of this church in Jesus' name and, and whatever spiritual authority I have right now in Jesus' name, Father, I pray for a spirit of joy to flow through this place. Those people who were bold enough to come to the front, those people who were bold enough, Father, to say, God, I want everything that you have for me. Lord, I just pray right now that there will be a change from the inside. It's not going to be a thing Lord, where we say, well, now I'm going to try and do better. It doesn't happen that way. It is something which God puts. It's something which the Holy Spirit embeds in us, oh God. And I pray, God, that you will do that right now in Jesus' name. Embed joy, Father. Engraft it into our soul again, Father. We release the hands of the steering wheel of our life on you, God, asking God that you will move. And we believe your word to be true, that if God is for us, who can be against us? So Lord, I bestow that, Father, upon everybody in this front, Father. And maybe even those people who are sitting at the seat, because God, I believe with all of my heart, God, you are wanting to re-institute A spirit of joy. Righteousness. Peace. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.